Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Vertical Momentum, where the only way to go is up. Guys, as you know, we interview game changers, thought leaders, and the gentleman that I am having on today is doing both. Um, guys, I want to first I want to thank our sponsor. The reason why I, I wanted to thank this sponsor is because obviously the gentleman we're about to talk to worked out a lot, loves to work out a lot. And this company is a veteran-owned company. They make make workout gear for guys that are big and, and muscular and and companies called War Cry. So check them out, War Cry Athletics. Check them out. Um, if you love veterans and if you love supporting veteran-owned businesses, check them out. Guys, this is going to be a fun episode. Um, this gentleman doesn't even know that I've been following his career since college. And he's done so many great things in the NFL uniform, but now he's doing even better things outside of the uniform. Mr. Ogden, how are you doing today? Doing well, Richard. How are you, sir? Oh, I'm so blessed. You know, and as we talked about as we were um, chatting earlier, you know, it's definitely a God thing. And I'm so grateful that you decided to take the time and hang out with us today. How's your day going? Day's going well, my friend. Just work on some coaching calls and client calls and all that kind of great stuff. So life is going well. How about yourself? Oh, I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm just a truly blessed man, um, especially to have you on. And the way I came about knowing about you is um, when I was deployed in 2003, um, I heard the story that you were going to be drafted. And, um, and then your brother also. And I always love the underdog story. And it's amazing not only to have, you know, it's it's like a one in a million chance to have one person in the family be a professional athlete, but then two. So I definitely started following you from from Howard and then all the way to the, the college and, and professional level. And I'm just so grateful that you coming on today. And I loved your book, by the way. It's probably one of the best books that I've ever read. And we'll definitely talk about that. So how, how's everything going? Everything's going well, you know, right now, there's a lot of executive coaching, you know, speaking, which is going really, really well. Uh, you know, a lot of things with my client base around consulting and trying to help them elevate and do the same for us. So right now things are, are very, very busy. You know, and I love that. And I love that you're busy. Um, ever since we, you know, we decided to talk, I've been finding every interview I could find on you. I've actually talked to some of your old players and some of your old coaches too. And the one word that comes out most when they talk about you is your heart. Um, and you have a heart of service. That's what it's, almost everybody that I've talked to has. Um, that's the one thing they talk about, about you. So you got to tell me, tell me what little, what little you were like when you were a little boy, you got to well, let me. Well, no, yeah. You know, growing up, you know, being six year, six and a half years younger than Jonathan, yeah, we grew up uh, very close, but weren't playing a lot of the same sports at the same time. So I got a chance to learn from him, be around him, uh, and be very educated by him, both what he did in the classroom and on the football field. And it really helped me when I got to high school and I was a freshman. And then the next year, well, I'm sorry, two years later, my junior season, my brother gets drafted number four overall by the Ravens, which was awesome because I was able to then, you know, work with him and learn from him and study from him. And my dad played football uh, at Howard, but my dad was also, you know, 
was a big guy and you know he was really more about you know defense and all this kind of great stuff but he wanted us you know to learn how to play from other people so we didn't feel like he was trying to force it on us so it was great having my brother you know be close to me and help me learn the game and all that great stuff which allowed me to like you said go to howard uh and then get drafted i'm the first and only offensive lineman ever drafted richard from howard university to the national football league see that's amazing but now i gotta ask you um you know um what what state are you from originally washington dc okay so you know whenever i talk to somebody that has a heart of service it usually goes back to their parents or their grandparents. Who was that one person that had that heart of service that you really think that touched your heart to be able to help other people? Oh, throughout that was my father. You know, we were raised by a single father to have him be the mother and father figure in our life, to have us grow up learning how to respect women, respect ourselves and educational sports was huge. I mean, we were big kids growing up. So to have him, as our foundational building block and as our foundational piece to help us learn how to be men and grow into our bodies and learn how to be, you know, uh, good dads, uh, you know, trying to kind of grooming us to be what we are today. And that was a huge, huge responsibility. Now, of course, you know, we, like my kids, we, I have three beautiful children, you know, and the oldest is like a brainiac and the youngest one is a brainiac and an athlete. And my daughter's only nine. But what was it like, you know, trying because, you know, when you have an older brother, or older sister and they go to school, you know, everybody expects you to be the same way. And they don't, you know, they don't realize that you're your own individual person. So how did you grow into being Marquise the person? Well, for me, you know, taking again, taking the lead of my father, who was phenomenal in what he did for us and then being very close to my maternal grandparents who were also living in D.C., uh, which was huge for me because I spent a lot of time with them. All of those factors kind of led me to be who I am today in the light of trying to understand who I am and what I'm going to be going through in my life as a, a, a young adult to an adult to who I am now today as a you know, I'm 40 years old. So really for me, it was a combination of my father, my maternal grandfather, my, also my dad's grandfather was big in my life also, but both of my grandparents, my maternal grandparents, grandmother, grandfather in D.C. were a huge part of my success in that regard. So, you know, now when you got to college, did you know you were going to be going pro or you were just no, like no, hoping uh, and praying? No, actually, I, I wasn't hoping and praying to go pro. Actually, I was like, OK, I was here now. You know, I want to be an investment banker. You know, that's what I wanted to. That, you know, that was what I wanted to do. And, you know, for me, that's what it was all about. You know, I was really about trying to be an investment banker, trying to learn how to process you know, everything and, you know, come out and be uh, a successful individual in life after, you know, my uh, after football. I was like, OK, if I get a couple of uh, if I get a year or two starting at Howard. Great. I mean. I didn't only got one scholarship offer to college. So, you know, I wasn't planning on being a draft pick and, you know, I worked hard and did what I had to do. And next to, you know, you know, next to, you know, Richard, you know, five years later, I'm in the draft and I'm drafted 193 overall to the Jacksonville Jaguars, you know, out of Howard University. So, you know, now take us <clears throat> into that, dra <clears throat> excuse me, into that uh, draft room 
where you, you have to wait so many rounds. What was that like, to, you know, finally getting the, getting to the 193rd pick and finally getting drafted? What was that like waiting? Well, the wait's always hard. You know, you're always like, wow, you know, am I going to get drafted? You know, uh, you know, are the, do, am I going to fit the team's needs that are up? Are these teams really calling me? Are, are they serious about drafting me? Like, you know, what's that look like? So really and truly, it's a lot of agony. It's a lot of, you know, you're, it's a lot of stress. You're just kind of always kind of waiting around to see what's going to happen. But once you kind of get everything moving and going, it's it works itself out really, really well. So what I always want to tell people is, is that, you know, in life, you never know what's going to transpire. All you can do is push forward and do the best you can. You know, I love that. Now, I'm, I'm being I'm, I'm from Jersey originally, but I lived a little while in Jacksonville and that heat is so oppressive. I, you know, sometimes I was like, man, is it just keep getting hotter and hotter and harder? So being from D.C., what was that training camp like going into into Jacksonville? Well, you know, had- Jacksonville wasn't really too, too bad. It was up north part of Florida. So it wasn't too, too bad, you know, because being in D.C., you know, you got some hot summers there for sure. And, you know, it was kind of like, you know, I mean, it was like, you know, some days you might, you would have 100 degree days, but very rarely. So most of the time it was like, you know, low to mid 90s. But it was uh, it wasn't because we were near a lot of water with the beaches in Jacksonville. It wasn't that dry really like sticky type of heat. It was like more, you know, hot, but you had the breeze coming off, you know, the beaches and ocean, you know, and where the city was not so, so hot compared to places like, God, Miami, where, you know, it's blazing, or even my boys that played in Tampa, uh, or my boys that play like in Houston, um, you know, or Dallas, you know, where that is, it was just scorching hot, you know, for absolutely no reason. (laughs) And then what was it like playing for the Claymores? Oh, that was good. That was a lot of fun, man. Playing for Scottish Scotland was great. You know, going over there, living in downtown Glasgow, you know, having a family that was like your sponsored family. I got a chance to see William Wallace's sword from the 1200s. Like he was almost my height. You know, I'm, I'm almost 6'6". Six, six. He was 6'6". Six, six in the 1200s. Uh, you know, really, his sword was over six feet tall. So, you know, you have that. I saw the crown jewels of Scotland. I went to Robert de Bruce's castle. And at that time, Braveheart was just, had just come out. So it was like a huge, huge thing for me to go to Scotland, see all that, sit in the king's chairs, right in the hall, go to old town, you know, well, old, town, old country Scotland with cobblestone in the streets. Uh, I bought a... Um, a not prehistoric. I bought a axe that was like from like that was kind of like design, like from like the 1200s. It was an actual, authentic, real axe, and I was able. Of course, I brought it back home, but unfortunately, between all my moves and stuff, it got damaged. I didn't have a chance to keep it, but it was a nice piece that I bought over there uh, in Scotland. Got a chance to go to Loch Ness, you know, Lake, and, and try to find the monster. So. I mean, it was good. You know, overall, it was really, really good. And uh, it was just a lot of opportunity and a lot of, you know, great things, a lot of great guys I played with, a lot of great teammates, and uh, all that stuff went really well. You know, I got to say, you know, um, I'm a big I'm a big NFL geek, always have been, 
Um, but, you know, I, I'm a big Madden player. But whenever I pick my teams, I always pick the center first because I figure this, the center is probably the smartest person on the whole team. <laughs> and every offensive lineman that I've ever met have been you more smart than people would actually think they are. So, because you guys have to know everything that's going on the field at every moment as being a, a center and offensive lineman, correct? That's correct. You have to know everything going on because if you don't know the defense, can't read the defense, you can't see what's going on, then what happens is you put yourself in a position of being in a deficient state because you don't know what blitz package they might run. You don't know what the team's defensive tendencies are going to be for the front seven. So absolutely, it's something that you definitely need to, you know, get, you know, into that standpoint of being able to have a great center who's smart, very athletic, and has good communication skills. Uh, you know, I love that. And I was, you know, a friend of mine, I'm teaching, I'm helping his kids. He's getting you know, ready to go to college. He's like, what position should I play if I want to make money? I said, left tackle, right well, tackle. <laughs> you know, I said, you know, and if you can stay healthy, you'll be a very, very wealthy man if you could play either tackle. So um, now what was it like going to the Baltimore Ravens where your brother, you know, kind of uh, cut his teeth? Well, it was great because playing for the Ravens, I got a chance to learn from him. I got a chance to play with guys like Ray Lewis, Ed Reed, you know, uh, great. They, they all came from the U, which is my favorite. Yeah, yep. I got a chance from to the U. play with those guys. You know, I played with uh, some of my good friends today, like uh, Tony Pachos, who's now back in Chicago. He's actually an attorney. He's a lawyer. So, uh, you know, he's doing very well. Uh, I have a lot of guys that I played with from that team. Uh, like Anthony Weavers now, the D-line coach with the Ravens, which is awesome. And it's, it's good. Bart Scott is doing his great thing with, you know, with media. Uh, so it's good. I mean, it's, it's good. So I had a great time in Baltimore. Great guys, great experience. I had a really, really fun time. Now, you know, the, the best, you know, we're talking about you go from Jacksonville with the heat. And then, you know, being I'm from New Jersey and I was stationed up in um, Fort Drum and close to Buffalo and I've never been so cold as being in ice storms in Buffalo. So what was it like going to Buffalo and playing outside? Oh man, the, it's not the frozen tundra, but it's definitely Richard, very cold, very, very just heavy, heavy ice, heavy, heavy snow, heavy, heavy wind. And the chill factor gets very, very cold very very quickly so your hands freeze up your feet freeze up and it's a lot when you hit it just feels like you know it's just it makes the impact that much worse because you really feel like you're hitting an ice frozen ice tundra every time you know and i I think you know you you're such an amazing person and you know i'm sure that a lot of times when if people when they do interview you they always want to talk about your brother. I'm sure you get that a lot. And I'm like, you know what? Somebody's asking. I'm like, I want, I want to know who Marquise is. I want to know that. That's the man that I want to know. You know, because you have an amazing story, and I love um, that you have. Because I'm a big mental health advocate, and uh, you have such a resilience in your in your story. 
you know, you've come back from so many different things. And that's what I love about you. Um, so, you know, I just want to say I'm very uh, appreciative of you hanging out today. So talk about the Titans. Titans great, man. Jeff Bishop, Nashville, great city, fun city, good teammates. You know, I played with Kevin Mawai, went to the Hall of Fame, uh, Benji Olsen, uh, Albert Hainsworth, Vince Young. Uh, Michael Griffin was a rookie uh, when I was there. So, you know, some real good guys, uh, Kyle Vandenbosch, Antoine Odom. So, I mean, it was just a good group, Tony Brown. So we had a real good group of guys. Uh, another guy, Stephen Tulloch. So it's nice. And a lot of those guys I see are doing like, like Stephen Tulloch now has a very successful coffee shop. I think he's up in Detroit with that. Uh, I know that uh, Michael Griffin and, and uh, one of, I forgot the other. Oh, uh, oh God, what's his name? He played for um, – uh, Brian Arakpo had like a cupcake business that they have together. So it's good to see guys that are doing a lot of things on the entrepreneur side, you know, after leaving uh, the gridiron. So it's just really been nice to see a lot of my former players and teammates I played with doing, you know, such great things. So what did you do between playing for the Titans and then the Reading Express? What, what was in between those? Uh, I was uh, I was running my construction company. So I started my construction company, Capable Enterprises, and I wasn't done playing football. I had a back injury that put me out and I got healthy enough. And but I lost a lot of weight. And I said, you know what? I'm going to go have some fun now. I'm going to go play defense. I'm going to go out and just have a good time and learn. Not learn. Let's go out there and just, you know, and, and not try to have to be off the lineman and think things too like I used to. Just go out there, be aggressive, fly out the football, have fun. And just go make plays. And that's what I did. And it was kind of nice. It was nice. You know, I had a place, you know, they put us in a nice hotel in Reading and you got paid a little bit, but I didn't do it for the money. And I, I just did it for the, you know, the competition level. And I was only 28, 27, 28. So I still wanted to kind of just, you know, let my competitive edge out. And that's what I was doing. So what was it like, you know, coming from the offensive, offensive mind? You know, it's kind of like I always loved Dion. You know, I was always a big Dion guy, even though he went to Florida State, but that's okay. Uh, but, you know, he could play corner. He played cornerback amazingly, but he can play wide receiver amazingly because he knew what the DB was going to do. So how was that mindset knowing what the offensive lineman was going to do? It was it was good because I got a chance to read tendency. I got a chance to see footwork. Uh, I, could read, I could tell there was a lot more passing in that league by far because it's only, you know, it's very short and, you know, so it's a lot more passing. So I knew that going in, but I also knew how to like get people's hands off of me, how to work the edge, how to press, you know, going 45 and taking the guy's outside shoulder back and then pressing him 90 when I got back to the level the quarterback was at and turning my hips and then pressing down the line. And because of that, it made it a lot, a lot of fun playing, you know, that position for a couple of years uh, in uh, indoor football. So tell us about the Triangle Torch. Oh, that was fun, man. I, that's when I was in Raleigh, and I did that again, played defense here in Raleigh. That was 2016. I was 35. I was just, you know what? I was, like, I was struggling to get my speaking career going. So I was doing a lot of coaching of football to the youth, high school kids, middle school kids, seven, seven leagues. So I did that to make a little money, but also I did that to help promote my business of uh, being a football coach and, you know, private trainer, which was good. You know, the, the, the team didn't last long. Uh, it was poorly marketed, 
not a lot. So it was kind of cool, though, having like my wife uh, be able to come watch me play a little bit. You know, even though I wasn't nearly the player that I was in my youth, I still enjoyed competition. I was, you know, playing D-line. I had fun for a few games. And it just helped me to kind of, you know, put myself in that right mindset to just to you know, be active and keep things going. So, you know, after your company, you know, went out of business, you you had to turn you had to make a pivot and you had to turn your life around. You know, a lot of people, if they lose their business, you know, they think, well, that's it for me. I'm done. It's a wrap. It's over. You know, and people don't realize, you know, that failure is an event, but it's not your life. So how did you come back mentally from losing a business to doing what you're doing now? So for me, what I found is I needed to figure out what my three biggest strengths were after I lost my business and I filed a bankruptcy. And what I did was I made myself aware, okay, I am good at communication. I'm good at helping people. And I'm good at telling stories. So let me go ahead and be a keynote speaker. So that's what I did. And you know, it brought in a lot of, you know, it took a long time, you know, two and a half years to get my first paid job, Richard, but finally got my first paid job in April, 2016, around the same time I was playing for the torch. So again, things were slow uh, and very inconsistent. And finally, you know, I went to some different coaching programs, went to, a, a, I met my mentor in Boston in 2018, February, went to a coaching program, 2018, March, and started to turn myself and the business around. And as a result of that, I ended up getting myself on the path where I started to learn how to get things uh, going. Now, you know, a lot of people think, you know, when you when you become a speaker, because that's what I do also, that you just go up there and speak. And it's, it's totally not what you think it is, you know, because they say that in the United States, the number one fear, the number one fear of people is public speaking. So were you a natural born speaker or was this something you had to work on? Like I, I consistently have to work on my speech patterns. I have to work on all that. Talk to us about, you know, becoming a public speaker. So becoming a public speaker really is about, you know, I, and I, I like the term keynote speaker, but, you know, for me, it's really about being comfortable with sharing your story and what you can bring to audiences. And on the other flip side, it's really about how you position yourself to be a, and give action steps to the audience that they need to hear based upon what they, where they are at in their, uh, in their journey. And the problem I had in the game, my career, Richard, I was great at telling stories. I was great at what I call motivating people, but I wasn't good at giving people action steps, guidance, tactical things they could do to get to the next level. As a result of that, I was more a motivational speaker. Then when I met my mentor in 2018, went to that program in 2018, I started to develop myself into a um, into a inspirational keynote speaker. And, you know, that was something that I had to really, you know, put myself in that standpoint to, under, uh, to understand. And once I did that, um, it became something where um, huh, that I was able to touch a lot more people, you know, in that in that regard, uh, in that regard. You know, I love that because, you know, a lot of times, you know, I, I love listening to a lot of speakers like Les Brown and, you know, uh -huh. and, you know, they'll give you, like you said, an, an actionable step. You know, like I, I had the privilege one time to be able to 
sit down and, and talk with John Gruden. And he talks a mile a mile a minute. Yeah. I wish he would have had a, a tape recorder to record everything. But he always gives, you know, he said, you know, if you want to be a better quarterback, he gives you the actual steps to do it. Where, you know, if a lot of times you'll go to listen to a, um, a public speaker, you'll be all pumped up. But then you don't know what, what to do with being pumped up. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, so now, you know, tell us about what you're doing. Or tell us about your book. You know, because like when I wrote my book, um, it was very cathartic for me. It, 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 it relieved a lot of pressure that I had in my life. I was able to get my story out there. So what was it like writing your book? I mean, and then it exploding bestseller and just getting all kinds of awards and stuff like that. So what was it like just sitting down in front of a computer and actually writing your book? So are you talking about Sleepless Nights or The Success Cycle? Well, I love The Sleepless Nights because that's the one I first I first read. And right, then I so, read. So both my books were actually written uh, by my wife, who was my ghostwriter. And, you know, because I can't write a book. That's not my strength. So it was really great to get my story out with, in that regard, um, you know, with, um, you know, Sleepless Nights. And then the second book, The Success Cycle, was really geared around, um, you know, helping people to understand how ambition, drive, and hard work was the precipice for me turning my life around. And, you know, that is something that is really huge for me because once I did that, you know, um, you know, it really, it really helped me to get myself in a position where, you know, I could be able to show people the action steps that I did to get to where I'm at to, uh, today. Now, you know, I, I love the first book, and, um, but I think I, I love the second book a little bit more because it talks about my number one thing in life is building relationships. Right. And, you know, I think relationships is the key to everything. Right. So can you, you know, lock on talking about relationships for people that are listening? Because a lot of people like if me and you became, you know, now we're friends and, but if I would have just came on LinkedIn and just pitched you automatically, you would have been like, who is this guy? You know, and I see it all the time that, you know, a lot of people request you, friend requests you on, say, Facebook or LinkedIn. And then they, they they just two seconds later, they're pitching you and they're not building their relationship. They're asking to marry you before they even date you. So please talk about relationships in business and in life. So it's just like I tell people, there's relationship building and there's transactional selling. So relationship building is when you take time to get to know people where they are, what they're trying to get to, what they're about. And then from there, turning the focal point and getting yourself in position where you can actually drive success and help them achieve their goals. I tell everybody, if you focus on helping your clients achieve their goals, you end up achieving your goals at the same time. So in real terms, it's very important for you to understand that as an individual, as a person, trying to build a business or build any type of, you know, real relationships and sales. Then you have people who I do what I call trans, uh, transactional uh, selling, um, which is, you know, which is, which is huge because, you know, transactional selling is when all you're about, I feel, is making that sale. 
And so many people think that's so huge today in business, but it's really not. It should never be you selling somebody what you want them to buy because you need them to buy it. It should be you selling them what they need and everybody gets a, gets comes out ahead. And that's why I think, you know, to me, transactional sales are like sleazy car salesmen kind of get you to buy something. Or like you said, you said it, you said it very well, honestly, Richard, it's people who, who are working to get you to buy something through LinkedIn and have no idea who you are or what you're really about. Right. You know, I'm a big Zig Ziglar guy. Um, yep. Good guy. And, you know, I love you know, him. You know, he always says, you know, you can have everything you want in life if you help some other people get what they want in life. Um, but I also believe, like, you know, now since me and you've talked on this podcast, the relationship is just starting today. You know, because like, and I would, you know, love to build personal relationships, especially now I know that we have common friends. You know what I mean? Um, it's all about relationships for me. Like when I, I ran a million dollar supplement company. And I was never in it for that one hit. You know, I would never want to hit somebody for like 400 bucks and never see him again. I, w- I was all about, you know, trying to build um, generational friendships. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, like I say, you know, you go into uh, uh, serving people. It should be an everlasting mentality. It should be the way in which you want to have people interact with you and you talk with them on that level. And I, what I mean is it's about how do you end up helping people have that mentality where you know, where they know that it's going to be an everlasting relationship. So that's really, really important. Really, really important. Okay. Now I have a couple coaching questions to ask. You. Sure. You know, because like I, I was in the military, I did over 23 years. And when I got out, I didn't know who Richard was. Cause I was so built up into being Sergeant Kaufman. So now people that played, you know, professional sports, you know, I, I interviewed a former uh, baseball player last week and we were talking about the same thing is, you know, the average player player's lifespan is what three and a half years, pretty much in the NFL one contract. That's about right. Yeah. So then, you know, when I, I was surprised to learn this fact that, it was like 80% of um, people that retired out of the NFL were bankrupt within like seven years. No, it's less. Like, depending upon what articles you read, it's between two to four. Okay. So then now, what, you know, how did you become, you know, one day you realized, I'm not the professional football player anymore. I have to reinvent myself. What was that thought process like? And how do you talk to other players that are getting out and having to transition into, say, civilian life? So what I tell people is, man, you've got to find out what your strengths are. And we all have strengths beyond our past prior jobs or our past prior life. But we need to sit down and figure out what those are. And once you figure out what those are, then you need to really focus on how you can position yourself in the right mind frame to get to that next level. And then once you do that, it's really big on you to set yourself up to get to that next level. And what I mean is you've got to focus on the strengths that you possess 
when I work with a client, every new client that I work with, it's like, I always start out with, what are your biggest strengths? And when I figure out what those are, we then build everything out going vertical from there. So it's very easy to talk about what you don't do well, or what you don't, or focus on things you can't accomplish, but you need to focus on what you do do well and what you can accomplish. This way in life, you're not just thinking about what what you're bad at, you're actually focusing on what you're good at. And then of course we all have things we want to get better at, but you need to kind of work on building up the foundation, you know, uh, from, from there. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a big Gary V guy, not only, you know, respect, I mean, the cursing aside and all that, that kind of gets to me. But, yeah, me too. <laughs> uh, you know, but I, I try to be a Christian man as much as I me can too. be, but, but he, you know, he comes across in some things and, you know, he'll say, you know, screw what you're bad at and triple down on what you're good at. And I think a lot of people focus more on what they're not good at. You know, like you said, you know, you're not a great writer, but that is your wife's strength. You got it. So you kind of, um, you know, you, you put yourself in a, in a win-win situation. Like, I, you know, so, okay, that I got to ask about because um, most of the successful people that I've talked to, 99% of them, had to sit down at the kitchen table one day and have that talk with the wife about what, you know, what their next plan in life is. And I see the people that fail a lot are the ones that did not have that hard conversation at the kitchen table. And unfortunately, or fortunately for me, like, my wife has, I think all women have instincts that us men just don't have. Mm-hmm. And, That's pretty lightly. And they, you know, and they know when if something feels off, they can they they can feel it. And usually if my wife tells me something ain't right, I trust her. So what was that, you know, talk at the table like when, you know, your career was coming in to an end? And you wanted to start public speaking and writing your book because you had to have that. 12, well, right? yeah, but it's not it's different because I met my like, so I retired from the NFL when I was 27. So I didn't meet my wife till I was 31. So to have that talk with her after I filed a bankruptcy, after I've been fired from two jobs, you know, and after I had to literally start over again, I was a custodian making eight dollars an hour. And to have her, you know, have her have to, you know, have me have to have that call with her, well, not call, that sit down with her was hard because, you know, you're trying to get into speaking. People are like, well, what are you thinking? And I had no experience in it. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. So I totally get where she was coming from. It's hard. And, but the, the, what the deal we had was, is, you know, absolutely, Marcus, you can do it, but don't stop working. You're going to keep working as a custodian. You're going to keep working, coaching football, and you're going to do this as a side hustle. And that's what it was. It was a true side hustle. It was a lot, you know? And so that's what yeah. I And that, so that was our deal. And I made, and we, and we held the deal and it went well. And that was that. You know, and I think that, you know, people that are successful, you know, I'm not saying I'm successful, but, um, they have that true ride or die with their, with their uh, partner and their mate. You know, they know that, you know, when the, the stuff hits the fan, she's got my back. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, in life, you know, 
if things are okay at home, you can deal with everything else. Yep. But it's when things that are, you can have the whole world, but if things aren't right at home, you know, it seems like everything just gets amplified. And that's when a lot of people lose everything is when things aren't right at home, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, I agree. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, uh, the thing is, you know, here's the thing, Richard, like you gotta be, you have to have what I call the valiant conversations. You have to have those real nitty gritty down to earth, fiery, you know, you know, sometimes it's not going to be pleasant conversations with people. And, you know, you're going to have to make the tough decisions. Like my wife could easily told me, no, you're not going to do this. You're going to stay with this. And this is a pipe dream. If that's what she would have said, would I have fought her? Maybe, but probably not because in the state I was in at the time, broken and just like beat down, that probably wouldn't have happened. So, you know, she allowed me to do what I wanted to, but I had to make the promise to her I wasn't going to stop working to support the family while we had our young child who is now six and a half and my wife wasn't working. So that was always our deal. You know, and I, and, you know, one thing I love about you is I love the comeback story. You know, I love that, you know, people can relate to you being, you know, being in the NFL and, and having all that to being a janitor you know, or custodian. You know, a lot of people can relate to that. And a lot of people don't, can realize that, you know, you know, everybody knows me as the comeback coach, you know, but everybody loves a comeback story. And you're like the ultimate comeback story. You know, like if, if Rocky didn't win the, in the belt, in Rocky 2, Rocky 3 would have never came. You know, everybody loves that comeback story. So do, can you find that you're more relatable than a lot of the NFL players in the past and present? Yeah, because yeah, you are so relatable. Well, yeah, because I failed miserably in a business. And I feel the ones who have, who have success in business or fail in business make it different. But again, my business failure happened so quickly it took me five and a half years to build the business, Richard. It took me three months to lose it, pretty, pretty much. As a result of that, it put me in a standpoint where everything was, you know, in that whole position of, wow, you know, this is a very uh, expected, you know, this is a very expected process for me because of the fact that I can do this kind of too many people. Uh, and what that whole process did was made me realize I was very relatable and that I could help get things done for people, you know, and as a speaker to bring to them that overall process. Okay. Now, last couple of questions, and I know you got a, a, a chock full of day of stuff to do. Um, you know, when a person, they say, oh, I'm going to write a book, you know, and then they, they publish it and they put it out on Amazon. They think they're going to make a million dollars and become famous. And when they put their book on Amazon and it's crickets, they don't realize that you actually have to work when you put a book out to actually get the word out. So when you published your book and put it out, what kind of steps did you have to take to it to be successful? You have to market your book. If you don't market the book, nobody's going to be able to buy it. And I think people sometimes only lean on their inner circle and when they do that, it does not, it does not equal what they expect in sales. And people get frustrated, they get upset. And unfortunately, you know, that is, you know, it's, it is what it is. And it's not the best place to, to be in because 
launching a book is really hard work. It's a lot of hard work. It's a lot of behind the scenes work. It's a lot of foundational work. And it's not going to be a get rich quick scheme unless you're like LeBron or even, I mean, only not. I mean, they'll, they'll make, I mean it's, not a, it's not a money making thing unless you're LeBron, Barack Obama, Michelle Obama. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not like that. If you're not that, it's a lot of process to get it going in that in, in that regard. Um, I, you know, and I, and I, I totally agree because it takes, like you said, it takes a lot of hard work. But now, talking of your books, how do we, how do we find your books? Um, how can we get in touch with you? How can we get you booked for um, speaking gigs and also to for us to coach for you to coach us? How do we go to our website www.marcusmarquesogden.com. Go to the website, take a look, you know, connect with us and, you know, we'll be able to see what your problem is or your pain point is and chat with you and see if we're able to help you in some capacity and go from there. And I think it's a great thing for people to, you know, to understand and uh, really just, uh, you know, focus on. And last question I ask everybody, because I love, you know, I, I ask 100 different people and I get 100 different answers. Um, in the busy world that we live in, if I ask somebody to do something in seven days, they're pretty much never going to get to it. But if I ask somebody to take an actionable step in the next 24 hours, they're more likely. So if somebody's struggling with their business, what can they do in the next 24 hours to start to write the shit? They've got to figure out. What they've got to do is they've got to have a meeting with their team if they have one. And if you don't have one, you have to realign your goals and figure out what your target audience is buying. And from there, you know, attack that and get out in front of them with what you can get done. That's what you have to do. And if you can do that, then it's gone. But if you have 24 hours to turn around, you got to figure out what the target audience is. So you need to if you have one, you don't have one, be with yourself, but you have to realign the goals, figure out what is your target audience buying and how can you get that product that or message in front of them to start increasing sales. I love that. Marcus, thank you so much for coming on and hanging out with me today. Um, I appreciate you so much. And, and uh, if I didn't mention it in the beginning, thank you so much, most importantly, for being a brother in Christ. Absolutely, my friend. I love it, man. And and now I know I, I met you. I consider you a friend and a family. And we have, you know, s- several um, acquaintances that we're friends with. And um, I hope this is just the beginning of the relationship. It definitely is, my friend. Thanks for having me on. All right. Well, God bless you. You know, tell your brother I said, hey, and um, have an amazing, blessed day. You the same, man. Have a great day. Talk to you soon, Rich. All right, brother. Goodbye.